Welcome to Elephant Dialogues, and welcome to our season finale episode. I'm Bryson Alley, and today we're talking about Donald Trump. No matter which side of the aisle you're on, President Donald Trump is a complicated figure who won a complicated election. Throughout this season, we've tackled some difficult subjects, but I think it gets even trickier when our subject is a human being. Donald Trump, for example, is a man of contradictions. He won the evangelical vote by a landslide, by promising to fight for religious liberty, and yet he's a man accused of multiple rapes, a man who not only admitted to, but bragged about sexually assaulting women. His business life is marred by bankruptcies, tax fraud, and a handful of scams, and yet he's one of the world's greatest businessmen, with a name that's worth billions. So how do we even begin to talk about a guy like that? Today, we're not going to be attempting to cover every aspect of Donald Trump, either as a president or as a man. We will spend some time talking about a few of the different issues that often come up with President Trump, but we'll also be looking at a few different conversations and talking about the methodology behind those conversations, what worked well, and what could be improved. My goal today is not to persuade you to my way of thinking on Donald Trump but hopefully to give you some tools that will help you in your own conversations about the president. In our first episode, I quoted a statistic that one in six people have stopped talking to a family member or a friend because of the 2016 election. My goal today is to heal those divides or prevent them from happening in the first place, especially as we get into the 2020 election cycle. My co-host today is my good friend, William Farnbach. We had a lot of great discussions during the 2016 election, and I'm excited to get his perspective on this episode. I didn't have a super concrete framework planned for discussing Trump, but Will suggested a great one. Here he is explaining it. Have you ever heard of the principle of charity? No. Okay, like that that sounds like a really like, just be nice to each other kind of thing. (laughs) But this is, the first to state the principle was this rabbi in like 163. Okay. And he, he starts with saying, like, a person does not say things without reason. And then how should we, it says, how should we set about discovering the significance which a person attaches to a given name? Let us suppose that somebody who I'm going to call, you know, I'll, I'll call him Charles for the sake of it, mm-hmm. makes five assumptions or uh, five assertions about something. Mm-hmm. And it gives five of them. And so we act on what might be called the principle of charity. We select as a, a designatum that individual which will make the largest possible number of Charles's statements true. Hmm. Other people call this the principle of rational accommodation, which is like we have to assume that one, that people are using words in an ordinary way. We're assuming that other people are making true or at least to their knowledge, true statements. Mm-hmm. We assume that people are making mostly valid arguments. Mm -hmm. And the last is we assume they're trying to say something interesting. And my point in saying that is how frustrating is it when you like are in a conversation and then that conversation breaks down because somebody has assigned the worst possible meaning to what you're saying or motives like that. The principle of charity is mostly just saying like assume they have the best possible motives, assume that they're being reasonable. Mm -hmm. And once you have... Once you've ruled out everything else, then you can say, oh, actually, they're just being malicious. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I love and that. I think that's I think that's where a lot of people fail in their conversations with Donald Trump is like Donald Trump opens his mouth and you get people on on one side who are like, oh, he's playing 10 dimensional chess. Mm-hmm. He's like a genius running the media behind the scenes. Yeah. Like everything he says is brilliant. And then on the other side, you got people who are like, everything he says is hateful and racist. Uh-huh. And so it's like, it, does it even matter what he said anymore? Okay. Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States. Here we go. America has developed a culture of contempt, a habit of seeing people who disagree with us, not merely as incorrect or misguided, but as worthless. We cannot solve the challenges of our time unless we solve them together. It was an opportunity to practice empathy. There's a huge empathy deficit in our culture. We don't need to disagree less. We need to disagree better. With what our President Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. All right. Welcome, Will. This is exciting, and I'm glad to have you here. Glad to be here, man. I'm excited to uh, talk about this. Thanks. Uh, And this is also the grand finale of our season, so I'm excited to talk about Donald J. Trump. Uh, It's all all been building up to this. He's like the Thanos of your your series here. He he is. Honestly, though, he's kind of a large reason of why I wanted to do this. 
Um, I mentioned in our first episode that one in six people have stopped talking to a family or friend because of the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. So I think this is really a large part of why I, we just need to fix something, man. We need to fix how we talk about politics, how we talk about people like Donald Trump. And I need to fix how I talk about Donald Trump. I very much want to acknowledge as we start this, <laughs> I am not perfect in this, and I have made some horrible mistakes, and I am very much learning. So You know what? I don't think anybody is. I'm sure I've made some mistakes. I can't think of any. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. But... Well, I wanted to ask you, why do you think it is such a polarizing topic? Why is he such a polarizing man? Why is Donald Trump so hard to talk about? Man, like there's two there's two sides of this that I that I think about here. So on the one hand, I'm not entirely convinced it's Donald Trump, okay. if that makes sense. What like, do you mean by that? I think politics has been moving this direction. I remember, I you know, I I've been politically, I want to say politically active. It's a ridiculous way of saying it, but like politically aware, right? Since I was, you know, kind of, I took interest at a young age, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's been a constant progression of getting increasingly divisive, increasingly mean-spirited. So I'm not entirely sure I buy the premise that the 2016 election was somehow like a black swan event. No, this was, you know, the next step in the evolution. Okay. And so I don't even know if it was like that. Yeah, no, I I can get behind that. Um, I think it's interesting for me because I haven't always been politically uh, active or aware. I think it kind of started with 2015, 2016, Um, That's Mm. when I was in college and I was really starting to pay attention. So for me, uh, that's when I started to notice things, I think. But I agree. I think it's been – anybody will tell you that it's been getting worse for for years. Right. And it's funny too to like listen to people. I think we have a tendency to uh, think of the years gone by as better than than now, right? Uh There's this weird fascination of this idea that like now is the worst it's ever been. Yeah. And I'm talking about in general, not just politics, but like – in many, many circumstances, like the data doesn't necessarily bear that out mm-hmm. or like it's hard to know because you're you're sort of romanticizing the past. So like I seem to remember people getting in angry shouting matches over Bush Gore. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like this isn't entirely new. Uh-huh. Maybe it's worse. Maybe it's not. No, I, I think that's totally valid. Um, I also want to talk about my goals with this conversation, especially when we're talking about Donald Trump. And this is something I've learned, I think, throughout the course of this podcast. But it's not my goal to change your mind today sure, uh, or to change anybody's mind today. So that's not my goal. I think my goal today is to talk about, uh, first of all, how to have better conversations. That's kind of been my main goal for this whole podcast. Um, So I want to look at some conversations, uh, talk a little bit about like what went wrong, how you could approach it better. Mm -hmm. But I do also want to talk about Donald Trump a little bit and just kind of get your perspective because I think that's really valuable. Yeah, I'd be happy to kind of talk about that. I mean, I think both those are important conversations. And and I, you know, one is a good example of the other. Let's put it that way. You know, it's Mm. hard. It's hardest to have good political conversations when that name gets thrown around. Yeah. So. First of all, uh, let's look at our first example. Donald Trump held a rally uh, and he was talking about immigration And he was saying, you know, this is a complicated problem. What can we do? We can't shoot the people who are coming towards the border. So what can we do? And somebody in the crowd yelled, shoot them. And Donald Trump chuckled and said, you know, only in Florida can you get away with that or something like that. And the crowd laughed. The crowd cheered. And so like you said, I then had a choice. I could interpret his words and assign the best meaning that I could, or I could make him a villain immediately. And that's what I did. So I made this post, assuming the worst interpretation of his words, Mm -hmm. and not only of his words, but I was assuming the worst intentions of my friends that jumped in and were talking about the post. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was something like, if somebody yells, shoot him, referring to immigrants, do you, A, what do I say there? Do you A, laugh, B, make a joke, C, applaud, D, none of the above because human decency, rule of law, charity, and compassion, et cetera? Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Will's got this in front of him and I don't. Um, but I mean, even there, you know, <laughs> the conversation is not off to a great start because inherent in my question was condescension, sarcasm. Um, I wasn't looking for a productive conversation, right? Sure. I was looking to demean, I was looking to paint how ugly I saw his comments. 
Mm-hmm. And then it just got worse because a friend of mine jumped in and, and said, well, any law that you have, if escalated, leads to deadly force. So, okay. and I, again, took his words, which it's a fair point and in a really interesting discussion to be had, I think. But instead of having an interesting discussion, I took his words, assigned the worst intent and said, oh, you're okay, or you're advocating shooting children. Which is like, um, yeah, that's, I mean, it's quite the leap, right? It's a jump, right? Yeah. But like you were saying, if I had said, okay, I know you're not advocating for shooting children. I know Donald Trump wasn't advocating for shooting immigrants. Let's actually talk about, you know, <laughs> what the meanings behind these words are. Everything would have been fine. We could have had a cool conversation. Totally. Instead, I got very heated uh, he was very offended. Surprise, surprise, no minds were changed. Right. And <laughs> so it was completely unproductive. I had to go in later and apologize to my friend. And, and good so on you for doing that. I mean, that's, you know, that that's a step in the right direction to, to recognize that what you're feeling would probably be resolved by some sort. I'm, like, I'm not saying he deserved an apology or you deserve to feel bad. I'm just saying, like, if something's wrong, you know, be the one to act. I think that makes right. sense, you know. And what I realized with that conversation is I saw such a monster in Trump that I became a monster in trying to call him out. So first tip of the day or whatever it is, don't become <laughs> the monster that we're trying to beat, right? Sure. Whether you agree with Trump or not, we just – we got to be better and I got to be better. Well, so I think – you know, trying to trying to take an objective stance on this. I think one thing that was hard in this conversation and in the inherent post is like, you really don't. And I feel we're saying you because it actually is you in this case. But like, <laughs> right. you really don't give somebody room to uh, disagree, right? Because your sort of your your statement here is like, if you're a decent human being, you would agree with me in this circumstance, right? And some of my dad always taught me was like, if you make it so that the other person has to humiliate themselves to agree with you, mm. you're not going to have a conversation. Right. Especially if you're trying to change their mind. Like if you're trying to be persuasive, don't make them humiliate themselves to agree with you. So for example, in this post, and like I don't, I, you know, nothing personal. I I, oh, I totally, no, get, please. <laughs> totally get the heat of the moment. But like we start with like, if you're a decent human being who believes in charity and compassion, you <laughs> would not- There's no place for them to go, right? Right. There's nowhere for them to go because they have to say either I 100% agree with you that Trump should not have done any of this mm-hmm. because the minute they have any like, well, maybe he meant this. Yeah. Nope. Suddenly they're not a decent human being. Right. It's a false equivalency and it leaves them no room to even enter the conversation, right? Totally. Um, in fact, I think we'll just jump straight to the next clip because I think that- uh, describes the problem there really well. The YouTube video is called Trump is Not Racist, Change My Mind. And I'll start off by saying I'm, I'm typically a fan of these segments, actually. Yeah, but I actually am too. So I'm not going to rip him too hard. So you were saying you're from Finland. You said you don't necessarily feel super informed, but it is a general sentiment in Finland that President Donald Trump is racist. I, I, don't, I don't think he's racist at all, but I would... I, I would love to hear why you think that or why that's the sentiment in Finland changed my mind. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I think that's the sentiment in Finland based on his speeches, you know, for instance, about Mexicans saying that, like, you know, some of them are rapists and, like, you know, some of them are good people. Yeah. But um, So what if I were to tell you that a lot of what you just said would, would sort of indicate media bias, that the media is the one lying to you, not really Donald Trump. So take the Mexican thing, for example, where he talked about rapists. He was talking about MS-13. It's a notorious uh, South yeah, yeah. American gang. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. never said Mexicans are rapists. He was talking about MS-13 and then said, by contrast, a lot of Mexicans are good people. So I'll start by saying that I actually find a lot of these conversations that uh, Stephen Crowder does really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to give him props for a couple of things. First of all, I love the long-form discussions that he does sure. where he's willing to not take those cheap sound bites and use them as gotchas or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he's willing to put the whole conversation out on YouTube. And and I've listened to quite a lot of them, and I usually find them pretty interesting. There's a, just a couple of nitpicky things that I want to talk about here that he did mm-hmm. um, that I think hindered the conversation. Um, and it goes back to what you said, just giving people a chance to respond, a chance to save face almost, and uh, giving them a way to respond. So uh, one of her concerns was when Donald Trump called Mexicans rapists and 
said that some of them he assumed were good people. Uh, he responded with, well, actually, that's the news. Donald Trump never said that uh, Mexicans were rapists. He's talking about MS-13 gang members. So here's the thing. I think he's wrong there. I've I've gone back and looked at the recording where Donald Trump is announcing his candidacy. That's the speech uh, that she's referring mm. to. And he, he never mentions MS-13. He is speaking about Mexico sending rapists and drug dealers. And he says some of them, I assume, are good people. So not to rip too hard on Stephen here, but I think in this one instance, he was factually mistaken. Mm -hmm. But he didn't leave her anywhere to go other than just saying, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she kind of had to agree with him because it sounded like he had all of his facts straight. But I think he was wrong. So I think a better way, and I'd be interested in your interpretation of that as well, see if there's a little more nuance there that I'm missing. Mm -hmm. But if I were him, I think a better way to have said that would be, oh, I, I understood that speech differently. Here's how I understood it. I believe he was speaking about MS-13. Am I missing something there? Because that gives her a chance to respond. It keeps him humble because... Now there's nowhere for either of them to go. He's backed himself into a corner where he said it with such certainty that she can't then prove him wrong without him looking stupid, right? Yeah, there's there's some of that going on. I mean, I think this is this is a legal trick, right? To to insert the premise into the question uh-huh. so that in answering it, she has to accept the premise, right? Which is which is hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I I question. You got to be careful because you got to be able to deliver facts, right. right? If you can't bring facts to a conversation. We're not really having any sort of conversation. Right. But I agree with you that to some extent, if there's some debate around what somebody meant, I'd go back to that same thing about about the principle of charity, Mm -hmm. right? So what about, I'd almost ask like, what about that conversation made you think that he thinks all Mexicans are, you know, are Uh are somehow uh, tied up in, 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 you know, rape and the drug trade and stuff like that? Because by asking that, then she has to say, well, because I don't think he meant it when he said some are good people. Mm. Okay, well, now we're having a different conversation, right. right? I agree with you that if he had framed it as a question, it allows for her to respond instead of just mm-hmm. saying, actually, no, you're wrong, and this is what he said, you know? Now, granted, if 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 there was some sort of way to definitively prove that that's what the person, like, meant, and that's what's so hard about arguing meaning, and that's why I think mm-hmm. a lot of conversation comes to, like, word choice, because word choice is something that you can't definitively prove. Yeah. And so without being able to definitively prove it, we can argue it until, you know, the end, until we feel like we've scored enough points. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just completely, you know, yeah. parallel to the argument you're having. Right. And the other hard thing about facts and, and getting the, these facts right about who said what and, and exactly what words, it's hard in the middle of a conversation to fact check yourself. And, totally. And go look up, you know, what exactly he said. Um, in one of our earlier episodes, we talked about how to accept new facts and how to accept new information. And one of the tips I gave was set it on a shelf for later. So if she had said, oh, I I didn't know that. I'll go look that up later. Or, oh, will you send me that script so I can look over it later? You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it tables the discussion and moves the facts off the table. So you're not arguing anymore about the facts, but you can continue the conversation about, you know, like you said, why she thinks he doesn't mean it when he says some are good people, you know? Right. So that's a good, I think, if you're in the middle of a conversation, you do need to use facts. But if if somebody pops up a fact that you're not quite sure of, you can table it and say, oh, will you send me more information on that later? Totally. Or I'll look that up. And I mean, if she had said, oh, I hadn't realized that, I'd be fascinated, you know, to understand that that's what he actually meant. That would change my opinion of of what he said, you know? Right. Right. I mean, it's it. There, there's something to be said about like you have to have some instinct as to the scope of your conversation, and by that I just mean like, can we in the in the conversation we're having right now definitively prove what this person meant? Right. The answer is probably not. Yeah. And so if we can't, there's no reason to keep discussing it. Right. I mean, you, you kind of talk about it as putting it on the shelf. I would say like, let's just admit that neither of us know for sure. Right. And talk about things that. You know, we can answer between the two of us. Right. I was going to ask you if you think Donald Trump is racist, but I want to preface that because I think I think the term racist is a, a meaningless word at this point. Totally. Because as soon as, I mean, we've all learned, we all know that being racist is bad. So as soon as mm-hmm. it's brought into a conversation, 
we're, we kind of put on blinders and we can't see the meaning behind the question. All we hear is the word racist. And we say, nope, I am not that because I know that's a bad thing, you know? And you can, right. So instantly it shuts down conversation. So I think a better, oh, that's the other nitpicky thing that I had about this conversation that Steven Crowder had. Is Donald Trump racist? From the get-go, it's just challenging a debate. And it's it's turning people off and people are making instant assumptions. Mm-hmm. I think a better question would be, okay, we all have some level of inherent bias, right? That's That's what racism is. We all kind of have prejudices. I don't know if that's possible to avoid as human beings, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, okay, I, 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 like, I already feel whether like racial or otherwise. I think we all have bias. Sure, right? sure. I think there's inherent biases. One of the things that's challenging here is like when conservatives talk about racist, they mean the traditional like so and so thinks this race is better than that race, right? And they mean they mean like you know loud and proud racists who would walk down the street and be like, life would be better if you know, white right. people or people of color weren't here, something like that. Uh-huh. And, a very and black and white definition of... Wah, wah. Oh, I didn't <laughs> even mean to do that. <laughs> Classic. But <laughs> but at the same time, I think I think those on, on the liberal side would, would view more about like any degree of bias is racism. Right. Or I think kind of the new definition on the left, and you could, you know, not that you're on the left, you're more left than me, but... Right. Um, but I think that the way I've seen it now is uh, racism to the left is anybody who doesn't accept that their biases are their primary drivers and Mm -hmm. uh, isn't willing to constantly check themselves for that. Right. That's a racist. Right. That's what I've sort of noticed is like, you're racist if you don't think you're racist. Right. Wait, like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, I think, let me, let me make sure I'm understanding your point. First of all, defining the terms we're using is important. Totally. And so if we, if somebody says racist, what do we actually mean? Right. Um, and that sometimes uh, those on the left might take it too far. Am I correct? In, oh, um, I'm not I'm not really here to that. talk about like going too far, but I think like it's just important to understand the colloquialism. Like I honestly believe right, right, right. Okay. they think that that's yeah. racist, right? Like right. that is, that is modern racism, that racism is mm-hmm. anybody who's not willing to confront their personal biases constantly right. is part of the problem. Right. And therefore, because they're contributing to some sort of increase in racial tension mm-hmm. that way, they are de facto a racist. Right. Yeah. And I, I understand the, the difficulties in seeing it that way, but I also kind of see see it that way. I think, again, like I said, I think we all have some level of bias towards not just race, but everything in life. We make snap decisions as humans. Sure. And so I think, like you said, those people who think they're not racist are the most are the people most likely to not understand how those biases are affecting their their vision. Does that make sense? Is that valid? I I see what you're saying. And I, I I mean, I get that, right? The only challenge I'd have to that is like, if, if you believe you've solved the problem as evidence, you have the problem, then like how it's sort of like, how do you, Mm. how do you get out of that? You know what I mean? Like at what point do we say, you know, I've, I've moved past these things because the the counter argument in my mind is I have impulses all the time Mm. that I don't act on. You know what I mean? How many times have you had a political conversation where you like yeah. get angry, you get upset, mm-hmm. and you keep your head and you don't yeah. punch the other guy? <laughs> so, the, so <laughs> you know the, your I'm point like, is, if I understand that racism should be what we act on, not only on our tendencies, is that correct? Well, I'm just saying that to to call someone a racist because they have these inherent biases implies that their biases. Uh, unduly like that they they can't be in control mm-hmm. of them they can't be on top of it and i don't know yeah. if i agree with that premise yeah i don't think i do either so. um so i think i'm with you there so i guess here's the question is donald trump guided by biases that affect how he sees other races and i would i would say i'm not i'm not convinced that he is okay i'm not convinced that he is uh and and only because i think we've gotten into this place where we are so passionate about fighting racism that mm-hmm. it isn't as prevalent as it used to be. Absolutely. I think yeah. I, hopefully we can all agree on that. Yeah. 
And so we're, we're left to sort of make mountains out of uh, molehills in terms of like, okay, well then what is, what is the new racist? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I, I like the action-based approach. Like if, mm-hmm. I, if I saw something that I was like, oh yes, this is a racist action, I don't even have to worry about whether this person is or is not a racist. I can just say, no, that thing you did right. actually plays out in a way that makes things worse in, in terms of racial tension. Yeah. And that's the, other, that's the other trick that I'd say like, in terms of making a political conversation successful, I'm going to tie this around here real yeah. fast. Somebody pointed out to me, like, if you tell someone you're a racist, they can just say, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And, like, where do you go from there? Yeah. But if you tell them, like, hey, man, like, can't help but notice you always walk on the other side of the street when a person of color is there. Yeah. That's racist. Yeah. You're not debating it anymore because the person, you can't prove that a person is or isn't, like, motivated by a certain thing, but you can point to an action and mm-hmm. say, Hundred percent, dude. Like that—that's yeah. <laughs> a racist thing. Yeah. Whether or not you are actively racist, I don't know. Whether or not you actually think you have something to be afraid of, there. Different conversation, but that's a—that's pretty racist. Yeah. Like, no, I think you know that's, what I'm saying. I think that's a great tip, and I, I, thanks for bringing that up. I think the more we can keep our criticisms or our praises um, focused on actions instead of labeling the person. Mm-hmm. I think that would help a lot because you can say, let's look at uh, his his quote-unquote Muslim ban. Mm-hmm. We can – it's too hard to answer the question of is Trump racist because we don't know what he's thinking, right? We don't know what is, what is in his heart. Right. He's either a nut job or a 10-dimensional chess player. I mean, we, who knows, <laughs> right. right? But we can look at that action and say, oh, this this brings up questions for me and and, and I'm concerned about – the way that you're treating certain races or certain religions, let's talk about that. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, if that's if that's an example, then then that becomes much easier to dissect than who is this person. Right. And I think just at a broader level, I think that's another problem with Trump. If we try and talk about him as an entire person, as an, as an entire being, he is so <sighs> so multi-leveled, like you said, like any human, he has good things and he's got bad things and he's got flaws and he's got strengths. And so it's really hard to boil that all down to who is Donald Trump? Is he good? Is he bad? Sure. Especially since we're not privy to a lot of it. I think that's the other thing that's so weird is like, and we do with all public figures, not just Trump, but we, we somehow take that their, their minimum public appearance. And I'll say on both sides of the aisle and you know, really anywhere that the public eye is a thing. Like, do I do I doubt for a second that there are teams of publicists and coaches like helping people build the image they want to have? I mean, people always talk, oh, Trump's going off script. I'm like, is he? Or is this the script? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. I will say, uh, looking at some of his actions, I see areas of concern in some of what he said, some of what he's done, some of his policies. And I agree. I don't know what is in his heart, what he's saying to get a rise out of the media, which everybody knows he loves to do. I know? love watching that happen. And I'll admit that right now. Yeah, yeah. And it's what funny. comes from his heart. So, Do you, do we want to some like like back and forth a little bit on the specific actions we think are or aren't racist? I mean, is that part of the conversation you want to have? Or? Sure. Um, one thing I've started doing, I, I have a list of <laughs> things and specifics that I cannot support about Donald Trump. Okay. And I know that's a little extreme for some, and it's a little – I have to be careful that I'm not looking for things to add to that list. But I've gotten that question enough that I didn't want to be – I didn't want to be caught off guard totally. and not have a reason. So anyway, I have a list. I'll link to it in the show notes if anybody wants to go through it and read it. But there's some specifics there. I think his Muslim ban is is one of those reasons. I know he's made comments about – a Mexican judge, well, an American judge being unable to preside over a case because of his Mexican heritage. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the specifics, well, I think the one that the girl provided in that conversation with Stephen was a legitimate example where he said, Mexico is not sending their best people. They're sending their rapists, their, their drug dealers, and some, I assume, are good people. Mm-hmm. I... Again, I don't know what his intentions were. I don't know if he misspoke. But those words by themselves, I, I see as problematic. All right. Uh, I mean, I'll just, I'll, it's, it's hard to not say, like, just 
I I don't. Uh. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but I think, you know what? There's got to be a way to say that, though. I think what you're trying to say, I don't know. There's got to be a way to say, cool, I think we see things differently on that. And well, and, I don't know. I you know. And the big point is, like, if I could offer some, some more supporting evidence, right? Something along the lines of, like, do we have any evidence that Trump has, like, turned down people for jobs because they're Mexican? Do You know, does he not... Right. Does, does he like make a point of not having Mexicans around him? Yeah, you know those are things that I'd be like, yeah, like that would that would prove to me that maybe that's what's intention there. But like, you know, just like you said, well, but some are good people. I'd say, yeah, and and you could make that statement equally about any race, right? Like some of them are yeah. rapists and some of them are good people. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. But the way he said it, and this is maybe why it's problematic to me. He set up a standard and he set up an exception. And his standard was they are rapists, they are drug dealers. And then the exception was, and some, I assume, are good people. So a couple of those words that he used, some, Mm -hmm. meaning not all or even not most, and his I assume, meaning I don't know for sure that they're good people. I'm assuming, you know. So a couple of those things, just the way he worded it, might have been a mistake, might have not been as eloquent as he would have hoped, but by themselves, that's why I see that that sentence as a problem, because he set up a standard, which was painting Mexicans as rapists and drug dealers, and then he set up the exception that he assumes that some of them are good people. Does that make more sense? I, I totally see what you're saying. I would, I would just say, if we're going to be defining this, I think you'd have to point out that what he's referring to is not necessarily Mexicans then. Let's, let's, I'm going to use the most extreme example. I don't necessarily think this is what he meant, okay. but like using yours, uh, Mexicans who cross the border illegally. Okay. Right. At least we could say there's not really evidence he's saying everybody in Mexico is like this, but he mm-hmm. is at least factually referring to at most everyone who's crossing the border. Right. Which again, I think is extreme, but like, yeah. No, I think that's a, I think that's a fair, fair assumption. I would just counter with the statistics really don't bear that out in that immigrants are far more peaceful statistically than native-born Americans. Sure. And that I'm not like again, I'm not saying that like he's right, right. in saying that. I'm just saying like if we're going to right. impugn that he's referring to a group, I think it's fair to say the group he's referring to is not all Mexicans. The group he's referring to is right, just everyone crossing immigrants. the border. I think that's fair. Which would still um, be mean and nasty. Yeah, I'd say that's not mean and nasty, but I'm saying <laughs> certainly right. not a slur against all of Mexico. I want to talk a little bit about the media because I know, I mean, Trump's made it a big deal labeling them fake sure. news, calling them out on when, you know, they're objectively wrong. What What is the media's role in this whole conversation? Okay, so I, I am a firm believer that media is biased. All media is biased. Same. For them to pretend they're not is ridiculous. We're left with just, well, which one tells me the things that I inherently believe or want to hear? Yeah. And then I go with that. Yeah. I saw that a lot when the Mueller report came out. Right. Uh, there was, so, I, and admittedly, that one is kind of hard because it's so long, but. And in some instances redacted, let's be fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. But very few people have actually read it. And so we're we're relying on these pundits and these news anchors who say they've read it and or senators, you know, we're just relying on people's interpretation of it. And yet they're so completely opposite, you know. Well, and it's so weird we rely on it because we all acknowledge that they're crappy at it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like <laughs> everybody, everybody knows the news is the worst, and yet we don't actually take the time to go read the sources, you know? Right. I One one interesting thing, this is some marketing research I was doing sometime. Um, consumer confidence in reviews. I mean, even just like reviews about mm. like a jacket, right? Right. Consumer confidence in reviews is at an all-time low. We all acknowledge interesting. that people buy reviews or that companies write their own reviews. Like we all know that happens. And yet consumer reliance on reviews is at an all-time high. Like if you don't have a certain number of reviews – People don't take you seriously. If you don't have a certain number of like bad reviews, people don't take you seriously. Hmm. And I'm just like, this is like the weirdest phenomenon. And I think you see it in in the news as well. Like, I know that you're not giving me very good information, but I'm still going to use it. You know, I don't know. Is it laziness? Is it 
Is well, it like here's what I think it is. I think it if it confirms our bias or our preconceived notion, I think we run with it. If we see somebody else that says something and it confirms what we believe, sure. we're like, oh yeah, sure. See, look, they said it, you know? Sure. <laughs> and if it doesn't jive with what we experience, we're like, eh, they probably bought that review or who, what does he know? You right, know? right. There's two different ways we interpret information. And one is, can I believe it? And one is, must I believe it? Mm-hmm. And so if we hear something, say about Donald Trump, uh, I, for example, if I hear something bad about him, my brain is like, ooh, can I believe that, please? You know, <laughs> it's very much like, a, ooh, I want to believe that. So I'm going to look for things. The standard is inherently lower. Exactly. Right? And if I hear something good about him, my initial instinct, and I swear this is true, I've started noticing it is, ooh, do I have to believe that? Must I believe that? So I look for little things that allow me to disbelieve it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really interesting talking about reviews and media. Watch for that. If it's a, ooh, can I believe that? I think we should get in the habit of being even more distrustful of those things that do confirm our bias or do confirm our position because that's when we're most, what is the word? Vulnerable. Vulnerable. Thank you. Yeah. That's when we're the most yeah, vulnerable to being deceived. Deceived. For sure. Um, this, is, this is something I try and do and I, I don't pretend to be the best at it, but like the first thing Whenever I whenever I hear something, is I'm going okay. Where are all the emotional words? Like, where are all the things mm, that yeah. I can tell have been upgraded or exaggerated? I don't know. mean exaggerated, like to the point of being untrue. But like, oh, you emphasized this. Yeah. Why did you emphasize this? Why did you yeah. downplay that? In in a good magic trick, there's always this thing. You can always tell when the actual trick is going to be done because the magician is really working hard to focus your attention somewhere. Mm, yeah, right? distraction. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like it's like the pledge and then the turn and all that stuff. Oh yeah, I've seen the prestige. I know <laughs> magic. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> um, but like, if you have that mentality of like, wait, what am, if I'm being asked to feel a certain way, Right. especially outrage with like the media. Exactly. So that's much. That's a huge point. And I think that's a huge thing to understand, especially when we're talking about Trump, because we know that uh, there are organizations, American and otherwise, we know the Russians had a huge part in a disinformation campaign and pushing Mm -hmm. this outrage machine, trying to divide us as Americans, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So just be really, really careful of memes that oversimplify things and and promote outrage or articles that, like you said, use those tricky words or those emotion-filled words. Yeah. And let me tell you, let me tell you the most frustrating thing that happens when I see people post these memes. And I do this, you know, I've got some, I I say they're my friends, but they're like 90 years old. They're friends of mine, but it's Uh weird to think of them as like (laughs) social equals in that way. Right. You know, friends of my parents, friends of my grandparents I see on, uh, yeah, things I see on Facebook. And they'll post something that's just like ridiculous, Uh right? And I'll I'll be like, hey, like that's not true. Right. And I'll do it on the conservative side or on the on the on the uh, uh, liberal side. And I'm like, I mean, you can see where fundamentally this is false, right? right. And they'll be like, yeah, you're right. And then literally, I'll come back the next day and be like, hey, can't help but notice you haven't taken it down. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, I, you know, I still think you know, it's got some value. I'm like, no, yeah. like we we both agree that this is like a lie. It is dishonest. Yeah. You know, whether or not you agree with it doesn't change the fact that you've got a mistruth here that's speaking for you, and that should make you feel bad. Right. I want to ask you, we've talked a little bit about the Mueller report, and so speaking about Trump, a large part of why I oppose him as president has to do with his foreign relations, especially with Russia. Uh, So I wanted to get your thoughts on his interactions with Russia, the Mueller report in general, Basically, the question is, is he compromising American uh, interests in pursuing his deals in in Russia or for some other reason? So I I haven't been able to point to any material gain in Russia or anything like that that makes me like, you know, that makes me think that, oh, yeah, he's getting something out of this Mm -hmm. or that he's got some sort of nefarious objective. You know, people talk about Russian interference in the 2016 election, for example, and I'm like, how are we talking about the misinformation campaign that the Russians ran and not the massive donations that they made to Hillary Clinton, for example. Like, it's weird that governments donate to political campaigns. Yeah. And so it's like, do I believe that Russia wanted Trump to win 
you know, if if I were to guess, but who's more in line with Russian interests, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, I'd say it was Hillary Clinton. And so like, it's hard for me to say, yeah, it makes sense that the, the Russians wanted Trump to be the president. And then at the same time, I also don't necessarily believe that Trump thinks he's going to get a good deal, you know, being besties with the Russians. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't see that playing out in a global way that, that, that makes sense to me. Right. And so, no, I don't necessarily think that uh, Trump's interactions with Russia are, are compromising American security or proof that he's, he's, you know, selling us out to our enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I just don't buy that yet. Have you, have you read the Mueller report? As much as I can, right? I mean, that's it's that's a, a pretty... it's a long one. I've yeah, I've not finished it either. I'm somewhere in the middle, um, but I am trying to read it. Uh, I think it's clear that there was no collusion that we know of as far as Donald Trump working with the Russians. I think what is clear is that the Russians did want him to win for whatever reason. I don't know what all the international details are. What about it makes you think that they wanted him to win? Like I could see them having a massive campaign to make uh, you know Americans hate each other, right? But I think, and that was I think Americans hate each other equally under a Hillary wins scenario, yeah, than a Trump wins scenario. I'd have to look up the specific quotes. Like I said, <laughs> I don't have them in my back pocket. Totally, totally. But I think the Mueller report makes it pretty clear that the Russians were interested in having him win over Hillary specifically. They they put out more ads that attacked Hillary. And almost none that attacked Trump, just the way they conducted their campaign, it leaned pretty heavily towards Trump, if I'm not mistaken. I I would argue, even if that's true, I think that's a divide America tactic than a Trump okay. wins tactic, because you've got to admit, regardless of whether we, to the degree of bias that we think was there, for every American news organization to believe that Hillary had this in the bag. Right. And to be pumping out those kind of stories, I think what you know. If I was a Russian, <laughs> this is a weird game to play. But if I was <laughs> if I was a Russian intelligence operative uh-huh. trying to sow maximum discord, I would want to maximize the counter narrative, whatever that was. Interesting. And so, if the prevailing narrative was Hillary's going to win, everyone knows it. I'd spend the majority of my money and time fighting that gotcha. narrative and getting yeah. the division that way. Not that um, I think about destabilizing world government frequently, but <laughs> right. like if I were, right. that's how I'd do it. Um, and then the other thing that the Mueller report brought into question is, yes, Donald Trump didn't collude with the Russians, but how much did he try and inhibit the investigation, right? It offers a few examples of what may be considered obstruction of justice, right? Right. Um, I also think it's interesting that we're talking about this today because did you see the news about Nancy Pelosi announcing, announcing the impeachment? That, yeah, the, they are officially starting impeachment inquiries. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sure we'll look back on this episode and and see it one way or the other. But uh, I will say this: people say, "Are you pro-Trump or anti-Trump?" I'm fairly conservative, and so when Trump does conservative things, I like it. When he doesn't, I don't. But in general, I actually think most politicians are terrible people. Mm. Like most of them on both sides of the aisle are bad and it, you know kind of to the <laughs> to the contrary of my my previous statement of like the principle of charity <laughs> uh if you if you think if nothing else maybe I'll put it the most objective way I can if you believe that politicians are acting first out of their own self-interest uh-huh. uh more than anything you are more likely right than than wrong you know I, I think uh I think that's the best descriptor of Donald Trump I think I don't know if we can label him as racist. I don't know if he's sexist. I don't know if he's a truly religious man like he says he is. There's so many things. I think he acts in his best interest always. I think he's driven by that more than anything else, right? Sure. Like any politician, I would say the same thing about Mitch McConnell. Mm. I would say the same thing about Nancy Pelosi. Mm. I would say the same thing about Chuck Schumer. I'd say the same thing about Dan Crenshaw. Like, I love that guy. But the last politician that I really liked, I named my son after... And it was George Washington <laughs> because that guy wanted to not be a politician yeah. as fast as possible. Yeah. <laughs> That's the last guy that I was like, okay, yeah, we could give him political yeah. power. The other thing you mentioned was that uh, you are a conservative and you like when Trump does good things and you dislike when he does bad things, right? And I think – Well, well, I like when he does conservative things. Okay. I'm not going to go so far as say conservative – I obviously believe – Conservative principles are good principles, right. and uh, I'm inherently distrustful of liberal principles. But like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say 
when he does good things, that's good. When he does bad things, that's bad. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's, no, that's unfair fair. to good-natured liberals out right. there. What I'm getting at is I think it's very valuable to dissect it and look at the the issues individually. Like I said, he's a very sure. complex man, no matter how you dice it. But totally. I think our conversations will be improved if we focus on only one thing at a time and, and don't get pulled off onto, onto tangents when we're discussing about certain policies or certain actions and words. For sure. It's way easier to answer that. But at the same time, and here's what I'm struggling with. I want to get your thoughts. At the same time, when it comes around to election day, we do have to boil him down to a single yes or a single no, right? And we have to, we can't support the good without also promoting the bad. I mean, we have to lump it all into one package and either vote for him or against him. What, how do we get past that conundrum? Okay. So, and, and you and I have talked about this actually in the past. We have. Uh, in, in debates about the third yeah. party system and things like that. Um, so one thing that I would always say is uh, easier than boiling a candidate down to the good and the bad is the issues. And you have to just give them a sum. You're right. There's some issues where he's going to disagree with you, but you basically just have to say, am I more likely to get the outcomes that I'm hoping to get with this candidate than I am with the other candidate. Mm-hmm. I've always believed that when people, when somebody uses the word complicit, that's code for me that I don't have to listen to them anymore <laughs> because I just think that's like really lazy thinking. Uh-huh. But but so like I don't feel complicit in uh, the bad things Trump does if I vote for Trump. I think I had an opportunity to vote for the best possible outcome I could get, and. In so doing, I fulfilled my moral obligation. I don't have to assign every bad thing he did to me because on the flip side, I would say, yeah, but worse things easily would have happened under the other candidate. Mm. That's why I voted for this right. candidate. So it's it's the moral high ground in that moment. Does that make yeah. sense? And when, and when between elections, this is part of my distrust of politicians, when between elections people go, well, he did this. I'm like, yeah, and I definitely didn't know he was going to do that <laughs> because politicians do whatever they want. Right. For the for the duration of their term, they only start listening to you again for the ten minutes before they're reelected. Yeah, that's what they do. Interesting. You know, I think I think that's a valid point. I think, yeah, I'm gonna have to think about that. Um, but what it does remind me of is we as humans, whenever we whenever we join a team, whether it's a political party or a religion or a sports team, whatever it is we tend to take on that team as our identity. And it's really hard, but I think necessary to separate ourselves and separate our friends and family when we're talking to somebody to separate them from the team that they've joined. So bringing it back to Trump as a more specific example, I think it's important, like you said, to not assign every move he does to the people that voted for him. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's true on both sides yeah, too, right? Sure. I mean, I grew up in Oregon. I would have no friends if I couldn't if I couldn't, you know, hang out with liberals. <laughs> right. Are there other things that you'd like to discuss if we're talking about Trump? What are some of the biggest things that can't be left out of the conversation? I think I think the big thing if you want to talk about Trump, you have to talk about the attitudes that people have that that led to uh, that led to somebody like Trump being you know, being a fit. Mm. A lot of Republicans will say, well, you know, if you'd have picked anybody but Hillary, I might have voted against Trump. Right. <laughs> right. right. So there's there's half of it. But like certain things, I think the I think the conservatives have gotten really lazy labeling everything as like a response to political correctness. Mm. But I do think that there is something to, along the lines of like, you need to understand that when when people feel like they're not heard, they go to somebody who, you know, if they if they feel bullied, they they are more likely to bully back, right? right? You know, I, I think I talked to you about this before. It's like, I think it's funny sometimes that uh, liberals complain when Trump acts like what Republicans think liberals act like. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying either of those are factually accurate, but like there's a certain amount of Hey, if we've changed the political game, don't be surprised when that comes around and, and bites you. Yeah. And so, um, you know, one example is this this like kind of cult of personality around Donald Trump that people are enamored with him. I would argue the most recent president that people were so enamored with that like literally didn't matter what they did. I'd argue was Obama. Right. Most you know? admired man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He was absolutely admired, and so a lot of people voted for him. Uh, 
And so like, hey, if that's the game, you know, if that's the game the ref's calling, don't be surprised when the team plays it. And that's that's always my concern politically when, you know, when we're like, well, my guy's in power, so let's hand him more executive power. I'm like, 10 minutes from yeah. now, the other guy's going to be in power. Yeah. He's like, don't be surprised. And so I would say I would invite everyone to be more conservative in that yeah. respect of just at recognize when your tactics seem to be the ones that are winning, right. then the next guy who wants to win is going to adopt yeah. them. I think, honestly, that's one of my biggest fears with Trump is the pendulum just swings wider, you know? And as he pushes a few things, uh, pushes a few more executive actions, as he pushes liberals further and further away through his insults or his his brashness, his calling it like it is, whatever you want to call it, I sure. fear that we will swing further the other way. And it'll, it'll just keep escalating. And I mean, I'm a huge proponent of returning to the center, but I'm a centrist, so. Right, one, well, and... and- like, I don't know. I, I agree with you to some extent. I would say if you're looking at Trump's strategy right now and the Republican strategy in general, um, there's a there's a degree of look how crazy and unhinged liberals are. And I think often liberals play into that narrative unintentionally, right? You got Maxine Waters saying something. So like sometimes I look at Trump and I go, you just said something inflammatory. Oh, look, they took the bait. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? And so, like, do I think liberals are inherently like that? No, but I do think that that, like, be aware that that's part of the strategy. And so I'd say to liberals, don't take the bait, and you look way more sane by comparison. Yeah. <laughs> because you do have Republicans saying outlandish things to try and broker, broker a reaction. Right. And that's, you know, not a good tactic either. But, you know, that's the, that's the game the ref is calling right now. Um, you know, let's talk about underlying attitudes that I think were there though. I think one where Obama was incredibly globalist in mindset, uh -huh. I think you had a lot of Americans feeling left out of that conversation yeah. and they wanted more focus on the United States, which is why America first became a thing that Trump said. Mm -hmm. um, and what were different ways that, that played out? Uh, the United States disproportionately uh, contributing to the United Nations, disproportionately contributing to NATO and things like that. Like those are all things that Trump has taken on, whether or not for the right reasons. Right. I don't know. But those are attitudes that, you know, I almost feel like I'm advising the next liberal candidate <laughs> here. Hey, like be aware. Yeah. That's something you have to have an answer to because I would say regardless of what you think about Hillary as a person, I would say the election proves that there are some key issues that Hillary didn't have an appropriately representative stance right. on. And one of them was, hey, like, we need a president who focuses on the United States. And yeah. I'm not arguing for isolationism. I really hate tariffs. I think that's terrible policy. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Milton Friedman. But there's there's some underlying motivations there. And I think if I were to have a further conversation on Trump, I'd say, let's sit down and say what every conservative American would probably say they did like about Trump that wasn't just a reaction. Mm. Like, what, what did they want to see? Okay, a lot of them feel like you know, unemployment was getting too high and that they weren't the president's priority. Mm -hmm. I think globalism is one that Americans, like, the. I think that uh, the left has overvalued how much Americans wanted to think of it as all one world government kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Socialism is another great example. I think that uh, the more extreme that that we go down that road, I think there are plenty of centrists and people who are moderate Democrats who are going, that's a bridge too far yeah. for me. And I think Trump dials in on that. And I think that's what he taps into. Yeah. Um, the Affordable Care Act, right? You know, whether or not you think that was the right thing, apparently enough people thought it was the wrong thing that the other guy won this mm. time. I think religion uh, is another aspect of that where totally throughout the Obama years, and, and this one is particularly interesting to me because Obama was a religious man. He was a Christian man. And yet sure. there were a lot of Christians that felt ignored and forgotten. And I think part of that are the strides that the LGBTQ community made in his in his term. I think it a lot of it just comes down to, like you said, religious people uh, felt ignored or forgotten or whatever it is which is why mm -hmm. Donald Trump was able to capture the evangelical vote in the way that he did, even though he doesn't exemplify evangelical 
uh, principles, right? Sure. And again, this this sort of goes to uh, that. Does Donald Trump exemplify evangelical principles? Is not really the question. Is does he exemplify them more or less than his opponent? Right. Because that's gonna that's gonna coalesce the group on one side or the other. Again, because we're only allowed to vote for one mm-hmm. candidate. We've talked about ranked choice voting and all that, and I have strong opinions about how the math of the equation really affects those things, but but that's neither here nor there. But there is there you got you got to do the calculus on like people are like oh like the religious right supports him. I was like, well, does the religious right support him or did they just not support his opponent? Right. And then that's who they were left with. Right. I think I think there's a big conversation to be had right now about the role of religion in in morality. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, and you know listeners feel free to chime in and disagree with me. I would say the left would appreciate government and civics to be where people learn their morality and the right still think that home and church is where people should learn their morality. You know what I mean? Like inherently there's, there's nothing like inherently insidious in either of those statements. So I'm trying to be as objective as I can, but that was, that's the discussion. So if you think, you know, if you think schools are where we should be teaching people about, uh, you know, LGBT identity and things like right. that. Um, you you are more typically on the left, and the right is really not down right. with that. And so there's a, there's a hard swing there. Yeah. And you know, I think I think it's important to be honest when we you know go back to that principle of charity. Make it objective. Really say what is it about uh, the situation that made religious people jump to one side or the right. other, or what is it about you know minorities that make them jump to one side or the other. Um, one thing that really has become common, and I, I would say this is, this is a Democrat, right? Democrat said this originally. Um, ask not what your country can uh, can do for you, but what you can do for your right. country. I see a lot of articles around like, why are people voting against their own best interests? I was like, because the opposite is 51% of the people stealing from 49% of the other people. That's just how that works. Like, we can't make that the basis of our conversations, but you do have to have certain principles that you're going off of right and so it's handy to sit down and maybe that's something you do if you do another podcast is you say well on the issue of morality what does the left say is the best way to build a strong social fabric and teach moral principles and what does the right Right. say is the best way and when you know those differences it gets a lot easier to predict which way people are going to go on certain issues we talked a lot about that in one of the episodes recently uh Talking about moral foundations and and how people see the different issues, it's fascinating. Totally. I want to mention. I think on the morality note, just as a summary, I guess of my opinion of my view on Donald Trump, I can en- encapsulate it by saying I think he's a deeply immoral man, and that is kind of the basis for my whole opinion of him. And, and I'd counter by saying almost not that uh, Republicans think he is a moral man, but almost more like, of course he's immoral. He's in politics. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's so depressing to me. Is there not a better option? Uh, I mean, have you have you seen one? Have Has one come up? I would say I can theorize that a, a better option would exist, but until one yeah. does. And I, again, you know, like it's you mentioned, we, we talked about this a lot last election because I felt that I had found a better candidate. We talked a lot about Evan McMullen and, and third parties, and that's a whole nother conversation. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting well, one. So let me let me put it this yeah. way: what is what is a moral decision in politics? Right. I I think this would be a good thing to say. You talked about Trump's deeply immoral. I would argue the moral decision that you make in politics is not whether or not you can support the sum of who this person is or anything like that. The moral decision is. In supporting this candidate, is it more likely that I that I will get more of the outcomes that I think are better for this country than not? Mm. And you know, if the answer is no, that's an immoral decision. If you if you don't think you're going to get the best outcome, see to me that sounds like a selfish kind of like, it, will this benefit me or w- even will this benefit the country? I don't know if that should should override what is morally right or who is morally correct. Baked, baked into the assumption of morality in this case is the idea that like moral behavior wins long-term as opposed to immoral behavior. So I don't necessarily mean like best for the countries and like gets our unemployment down and, you know, uh, makes the stock numbers go up. But I do think like if you legitimately believe, and I'll use a liberal position, sure. this, if you legitimately believe that um, 
that the public the public sector has the the moral duty to be the moral educators of society mm-hmm. or to be the moral standard of society like you better support candidates that make that more likely mm. you know what i mean like that's hey if that's your moral stance here then like the most moral thing you can do is whatever whatever candidate makes that most likely now again this it gets really hazy because we start getting to the ends justify the means that's not what i'm saying you know, don't shoot the other candidate. Right. But you've got to look at the sum of the issues they support and go, which one gets me the closest to what I think is ideal for this? And you know, where you where you, I think you're you're seeing selfish. Just I'm saying, I think the founding fathers made a big point of saying, you know, everyone should make a moral stance when they go to the ballot. They should morally ask themselves what's going to be best for this nation in the long run. Right. And that's why, you know, I get really uncomfortable when people talk about, you know, keep your morals out of our laws. No, man. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly why I vote. Yeah. Because I'm not a politician who has to be some sort of weird moral objectivist yeah. in order to have this conversation. Like, if I legitimately think that this, that this uh, policy is going to give me a moral outcome, like, I should support that policy. Yeah, yeah I can agree with you there. Well, anything else you want to you wanna touch on before we wrap this thing up? No, man. I mean, I think, you know, love what you're doing. Thanks. Uh, I hope what I said was helpful. I hope nobody uh, comes after my job for it. <laughs> uh, I thought about that for a second. It's like, wow, like, did Bryson really have to, like, import a Trump, uh, a, a potentially pro-Trump person into his podcast from out of the state of Utah? <laughs> you know, though, I, I find that people – are really uncomfortable talking about it and and supporting their position on either side. They don't they don't like or they don't know how. I don't know what it is. You know, I've talked to some people who have said, you know, I voted for Trump in 2016 and I will vote for Trump in 2020 probably, but I would never tell anybody about that. Or I would if a pollster calls, I would absolutely tell them I will not vote for him and then I'll go vote for him. And I think it's really sad that we've gotten to that place where we can't even discuss it, you know? And so that's right. that's really my goal here is somebody who's voting for Trump should be able to say that they're voting for Trump without fearing repercussion or f- without fearing that their friends will turn on them. Totally. So I, I agree with you. There it is, I guess. That's the that's the problem. I'm not sure what the solution is, but I I really, really appreciate you coming on and and, and talking about this. I'll, I'll tell you this. I think you're one of the smartest guys I know. So I really admire you and really respect your opinion. Well, I appreciate that, buddy. I, I you know, that's that's high praise coming from you. Wow, and uh, I, I really respect that you've not just looked at something like this and said, wow, that's nuts. But you're like, all right, maybe I can try something to, you know, move the needle and help out in some way. I mean, that's really admirable. Well, thank you. We disagree you. on think... some things, but uh, I think we're totally in agreement that action like this is exactly what needs to be had. Thank you. Oh, before we end, I almost forgot this segment I call I've got good news and I've got good news. Do you have anything cool going on in your life that you want to share? Shout out. Uh, I mean, I would just say this one. My, uh, my youngest son is having his first birthday this weekend. And I, you know, I love every minute of that. That is amazing. He's a, he's a great kid. And uh, it's fun seeing, you know, he's got an older brother and seeing them play and, and get along and, Honestly, that's why I get involved in anything political at all is I'm just like, right. you know, what world are we leaving behind? Right. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Um, what about you? What's your good news? So I don't have a son, but I do <laughs> have a library card now. I went to the library this week <laughs> and I, I got myself a library card. And it's been probably, you know, 10 years since I've had a library card. <laughs> you know what they say? Having fun isn't hard when you've, when got, you've got a library, library card. card. That's the most fundamental lesson I learned as a child. Uh, awesome. Anyway, hey, good I, on you. Thanks. I've really I've gone to the library. I've checked out a f- couple books, and you know I'll <laughs> wrap this back into politics. I one of my favorite books is called um, "Love Your Enemies," and it's by Arthur Brooks. And at the very end, I mean, he spends the whole book talking about how to better engage in politics, how to understand those with whom we disagree. But at the very end, he says, "You know what? One of the healthiest things you can do: take a break." Step away, step away from politics for three months. I promise nothing will change. It'll be there when you get back. I have loved this project. I've learned so much. 
I'm excited to take a little break now. I'll be spending some totally. time at the library. Going to read some books. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Hey, did your library go uh, fee-less yet? Um, not that I know of. I, I think there are fees when I keep my books too late. Are there libraries that are fee-less? Yeah, that's a uh, you know a little more good news if you ever want to come to Idaho Falls. Oh, it's fearless library. I mean, library now. Wow! And so, <laughs> my wife goes and she checks out like forty books at a time, and she takes them all back. But like, if you lose it, you still got to pay for right. it. But you can keep it as long as you want. That would have saved me hundreds of dollars as a child. Well, seriously though, <laughs> seriously, I love that's it. awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, man. Stay Take awesome. it easy. I'm excited to excited to see how you put this all together, and uh, and you know. Keep up the good work whenever you feel like you're up for it again. Don't feel like you got to keep your nose on this, but I really respect what you're doing. Yeah, I won't leave completely, I'm sure. As we get into 2020, I'm sure I'll (laughs) get back online. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elephant Dialogues. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I know we didn't even scratch the surface of discussion topics when it comes to President Trump, but I hope that you're able to use the tools we talked about to start your own conversations. I know I'll be using a lot of William's suggestions to improve my own conversations. Now, before we end, since this is the last episode of the season, I want to mention a few of the lessons I've learned from this experiment. I've learned that sitting down and talking with someone is the best way to learn about their position. I've also learned that people are good and that there is far more that unites us than divides us. I've learned that productive conversation is possible, even if it takes some practice. I've also learned that we're not going to be perfect at it, and we're going to continue to make mistakes as we talk about important issues, and that's okay. It can be a learning process, but don't let that keep you from having the conversations in the first place. I want to say thank you to everyone who's helped with this project. Huge thank you to all my guests who have offered their time and their insight. I could not have done this without you. Thank you to those who have listened, and especially to those who have reached out with feedback and suggestions. Special thanks to my friends and family who have been patient with me as I've been trying to improve myself in this area. Shout out to Landon Alley at Soundbridge Studios for recording and mixing all these episodes. There's a ton of behind-the-scenes work that goes into these, and his talent really made the podcast what it was. And thank you to my wife, Amanda, for, well, just everything. My name is Bryson Alley, and this has been Elephant Dialogues, my experiment in better conversations. If you want to see this experiment spread, consider sharing one of your favorite episodes on Facebook, Twitter, or wherever your social media is found. Thanks, guys. I'll see you around.